and uh, boy, last week was a was very well watched um, uh, video. I think that's the most views that we've we've ever had as we were talking about the subject of LGBTQ uh, in this series called God and Culture. So today is part three, and we're going to talk about tattoos. Say what? Tattoos. Why in the world would you talk about tattoos? Well, tattoos is a subject that brings up many, many other subjects as well. Uh, but I need to tell you right off the bat, just, just relax. Uh, I know some of you have tattoos. Probably half of you in this room have tattoos. And uh, some of them are seen. Some of them are probably unseen. So this is not a, an anti-tattoo message. Uh, but we're talking about God and culture. And uh, tattoos nowadays in Western culture, as even around the world, have exploded. Uh, I don't know if you if you know this. I'm hearing myself somewhere. Okay, it's the um, I can actually hear myself in the speakers or in the in the headphones. That's cool. Good. Thank you. Um, I was going to say I I I I know I'm not demon possessed, but when I hear these things and. Another joke, you're so quiet today, I have to tell a lot of jokes and warm you up. But uh, in culture, tattoos are all the rave. Uh, we see them on professional athletes, we see them on uh, entertainers, musicians, actors, they're all over the place. When I was you know, 15 years old, very, very few people got tattoos. And very few people my age got tattoos unless they were in a gang or there was some association with something that wasn't too good. But now they are all over the place. And not only tattoos, but body piercings. You know, people have got earrings in all kinds of strange places and piercings all over the place. And so this is a cultural phenomenon, really, that's exploded uh, in at least the last decade or so. Um, and, but you may say, but why would you even bother talking about it? It's all over the place. Because when you talk about culture, there are certain things in culture that are hard to make a decision on. Okay, so when you talk about tattoos, you know, you've got a picture of a guy here uh, who's, who's getting tattooed. You know, who is this guy? Is he a, is he a nonconformist? Is that why he's getting tattooed? Is he non-traditional? Is that why he's getting tattooed? Is he a rebel? Is that why he's got tattoos? Is he just trying to, is this a uh, form of self-expression and art? Is this why he, he's getting tattooed? Or is he a flat-out criminal, <laughs> right? And these are some of the questions that come into our minds when we see all of this in culture. But it's taken very, very seriously. There's big money involved, and you can get tattoos just about anywhere nowadays. I was walking around in the mall yesterday. I think I saw two places where you could get tattoos. I mean, it's almost as common as haircuts. Uh, but when we think about tattoos, especially when you have kids or grandkids, and they're wondering about this kind of thing, and you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, it starts to become a little bit more relevant. But there are other questions that this brings up. For one, okay, does a cultural acceptance of a given practice, does that also mean a moral acceptance? So while we talked about, uh, in, the, in part one, we talked about climate change, part two, we talked about LGBTQ. LGBTQ in particular 
You can, if you're talking about what God has to say about it, and you look into the pages of the Bible as, a, as a, what he has to say, well, you're going to see some information there. There's not a whole lot of information. As I said last week, it's about 0.5% of the Bible actually even addresses the subject. But you do see a clear, a clear moral stance on the subject, whether you agree with it or you disagree with it, you can, do, you can see the Bible's stance. Well, what about something like tattoos? It's a lot more difficult. We certainly have a cultural acceptance of this, but does that also mean that it's right or wrong? And what this brings up is there are plenty of practices and plenty of things in 21st century Western culture, even worldwide culture, that we wrestle with this question. Can we, can we, is there a moral position that we can take on this? Again, especially if you have kids who are growing and they want tattoos and you don't know what to say, you don't know how to say it, you don't know, well, what do I do with this? Or you're, um, you're an employer, you're hiring someone, they're covered head to toe in tattoos, you, know, you don't know what to do with the whole thing. So just because it's accepted in culture, does that make it morally right? Morally wrong? How many of you say it's morally right if it's acceptable by the culture? How many of you say it's morally wrong if it's accepted by the culture? Okay, a few more hands went up. But it's a hard question to, to answer. Um, it's easy. We can, there, are some, there are some people who are Bible-believing people, and what they do with something like tattoos is they run to what we could call a proof text. And there's a really easy way out if you like taking the Bible out of context especially, but you can use a proof text uh, from the book of Leviticus actually to try and slam something like uh, tattoos. If you put the picture on the screen, you know, it's kind of funny. You've got a guy covered in tattoos reading the Bible next to a guy who's, you know, covered in tattoos. And you can actually find a proof text from the, from the Levitical law to try and bash tattoos. Okay, I'll read it to you. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Ouch! And so there are some people and they say, look, these tattoos, you know, it's a cultural thing. It's wrong. It's this. It's that. And even the book of Leviticus in the Bible says it's wrong. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, let, let me just... just pause for a few minutes on this. Do you really think that that's a correct application of Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28? Have any of you read the entire book of Leviticus? Like recently, within the last couple of years? Okay, Leviticus has a lot, a lot of little, little laws in it and hundreds of little details in there. That's the ancient Israelite civil law. You really want to pluck something out of the ancient Israelite civil law and apply it to 21st century living like that? Have you read the rest of Leviticus? There's a lot of other things in Leviticus that you obviously would not pluck out and say, well, that applies to the 21st century. You're saying, well, you're saying that that isn't the word of God? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have to interpret it and apply it correctly. In, in the book of Leviticus, for example, you have the bulk of it is the civil law directed to ancient Israel as they're living in the wilderness. You've got a lot of dietary stuff there, no refrigeration, 
you probably should have some dietary laws. You've got about a million people going through the ancient Sinai desert. You're going to need some order. You're going to need some civil law. These people are in a covenant with God. He has rules. He has stipulations and so on. And that's what we see in a book like Leviticus. There really is no book like Leviticus, actually, in the entire Bible. But it's very, very convenient, but a very dangerous practice to yank a verse out of, you know, the ancient civil law of Israel and try and apply it to today. When you talk about, just to, as an aside, this is another sermon to itself, but when you talk about the Old Testament, which is the bulk of the Bible, is the Old Testament, okay, you, and you talk about the law, quote-unquote, you have civil law, you have ceremonial law, and you have moral and ethical law. Okay, the, the civil law, which is a lot of what you see in, in Leviticus, this is directed specifically toward ancient Israel at that time, in that culture, in that place, by God. This was their covenant. This is the way that they had to live. But you cannot take that and try and jettison it into the 21st century in Western civilization. You're likely to get arrested if you try. Because there are things in the Levitical law that are illegal today in Western civilization. You try and do them, you'll get arrested. Okay? Obviously, that's not the way to apply it. The way that you apply it is you say, well, look, God has a covenant with these people. God, God had this arrangement with them. He expected obedience. He expected them to follow this. And that was the way that they indicated their love for him by obeying him in this way. That's good. Today, I should do the same. But does that oblige me to obey the civil law of ancient Israel? No, it does not. The ceremonial law of ancient Israel is also unapplicable today. Why? No temple. No tabernacle. You want to go and try and kill an animal and sacrifice it? You're going to get arrested. Okay, so what do you have there? You have a covenant given to those people. Yes, it's the inspired word of God. Doesn't change anything there. But you have to understand the context. So when you look at a 21st century cultural norm or something that's accepted in 21st century culture, it, it, it is a very convenient thing to throw a proof text at it, but it's a very dangerous thing. So I would caution uh, that use of a passage out of the book of Leviticus. So back to the question, does cultural acceptance of a given practice also mean moral acceptance of the practice? Hard question to answer. Here's an even harder question. What if there's a moral gray zone? And there is. In fact, there are plenty of things in culture that you, it's very hard to make a moral stance on. There's a bit of a gray zone. For some people, there's no issue. For other people, there's an issue. And there's a bit of a gray zone there. So this subject of tattoos brings up uh, the cultural reality. How do we deal with these kinds of things in culture? Maybe widely accepted, widely practiced, may make some people feel a little funny, may make other people no, no big deal, no big issue, why are you even talking about it? Because we live in culture. And so how do we navigate through that? What if there is a moral gray zone? If you're going to go to the Bible, you will discover there is indeed a moral gray zone. And you will see it 
in Romans chapter 14 in the Bible's New Testament. Paul devotes a whole chapter to this kind of thing, trying to help people back there in the church in Rome in the first century with this kind of thing. Well, this one does this, but this one doesn't do this. And what do we do about these kinds of disputable matters, as he calls them? So I'm going to give you four principles about how to deal with these kinds of things. These will help you just in the practical day-to-day life because you live in culture. You don't live in ancient Uh, Israel in the Sinai desert, you live in the modern 21st century, how are you going to navigate with all this stuff? And culture is going to change as you you continue living, as your kids get older, culture is going to continue to change. So how do you deal with an issue, something like this, tattoos as an example? So let me give you four principles. Number one, rejection of cultural norms. This is not necessarily a sign of strong faith. So some people who profess to be Christians, all they do is reject popular culture. They just, anything that's popular, they hate it. (laughs) They say it's wrong. They say it's sinful. They say even harsher things. They, you know, invoke Satan in the conversation. And they say anything that's in popular culture, it's all bad and they reject the whole thing, and they kind of have a sort of way of living where they surround themselves with everything Christian. The music they listen to is quote-unquote Christian. The things they watch on television are quote-unquote Christian. The friends that they have are all quote-unquote Christian. They spend as much time as they can in church. They kind of inoculate or or, um, uh, hide themselves, as it were, from the popular culture because in their mind, popular culture is bad. Now, this is not necessarily a sign of spirituality or strong faith. When you look into the pages of the Bible, you see something different than that. You see Jesus calling people to live in culture and to not hide from it, but not to necessarily adopt all of the things that they see in the culture in particular when it pertains to moral issues and moral problems of the day. So back to the, 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 the Old Testament question, S- civil law of ancient Israel is, is, is impossible to apply today. Ceremonial law is impossible to apply today. This is all fulfilled in Christ on the cross. But the moral and ethical law of God is still applicable, especially when it's repeated to us clearly in the pages of the New Testament. On the subject of tattoos, you see absolutely nothing about it. Furthermore, to apply Leviticus chapter 19 to it is to misapply Leviticus 19. The people back then, and we know this from archaeology, there was a little bit of tattooing going on. We can see it in in some of the Canaanites would would put markings on their body for, for they thought it would increase their fertility and we can see this a little bit from archaeology but in particular what we see is the scarring the permanent scarring of the body and this is referred to in Leviticus 19 clearly in that verse and we can even see an example of it in the Old Testament when the people would cut themselves to try and take uh, get the attention of their gods and it would leave a permanent scar 
They would sometimes do this in homage to the dead, and they would scar themselves. So to try and apply that to modern 21st century tattoos, again, is a misapplication. This is an issue that the Bible does not specifically speak to. It is one of those cultural things that falls into the gray zone. So what do you do about it? Do you just say, well, we reject it totally. If it's popular, it's bad. Not necessarily. And this is not necessarily a sign of strong faith either. Um, if you've ever had um, uh, any experience visiting the Amish culture, uh, there, there are some Amish in, uh, in North America, not too far from here. If you've ever vis visited the Amish, they do this. And they isolate themselves and get themselves completely out of the world or out of popular culture. No electricity, although now I hear they're using cell phones a bit. Uh, you know, you can look on their horse and buggies and now you see turn signals, <laughs> which, are, which are electric. Right? They avoid electricity. Avoid the internet is bad, it's evil, you know, it's kind of this worldly music, this is all bad, and they have you know, they have various names for what they call these things, and they their philosophy is you get out of this culture and you do not engage in this culture because this culture is entirely sinful and it will take you away from God. This is not what we see in the pages of the New Testament. Jesus would call us to live in culture but not necessarily be of culture in terms of its morals and its ethics. Do you see the difference? So we're not called to run away and bury our heads in the sand. We're actually called to live in the culture and make a difference in people's lives, especially when it comes to things that are destroying their lives, which is what sin does to people. So you cannot do that if you are not part of the culture. If you're running away from the culture all the time, that is not necessarily a sign of strong faith. Romans chapter 14, Paul lays out an argument there to try and help these people because he had people in the church in Rome who, who felt that they could do certain things, they could eat certain foods, they could... It, uh, uh, follow certain special religious days or not follow them, eat the food, not eat the food, follow the day, not follow the day, and different people had different opinions on this. And in Paul's view, uh, chapter 14, he calls these disputable matters. And he tries to teach them, what do you do about this? What do you do about this gray zone? And for Paul, he says, the strong faith has more of a tolerance to various kinds of things. And the strong faith can eat the food. The strong faith doesn't necessarily have to observe the particular worship day, whichever special day it was. The, 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 the strong faith could drink the, the drink, for example. So there had more of a threshold of tolerance. The weak faith, as Paul says, is the one that did not have the tolerance. And the one that said, no, I will not eat this food. No, I will observe this day or I won't observe this day, etc. So for him, it's a question of tolerance level. The more strict, the more restricted, he says that's a weaker faith. The stronger faith, a little more tolerance to the thing, and they could do it. But his principle is not to say, well, someone's down here in their faith and someone's up here in their faith. No, his principle is respect one another in the decisions that you have made. Regardless, if the person eats the food, they should not eat the food in front of someone who does not. 
because the someone who does not will be offended by that. And the someone who does not eat the food should not go tell the person who's eating the food to stop eating the food because both of them are doing that in proportion to their faith. And they should not be condemned for it and they should not be judged for it because those things are disputable matters. They were in that particular time, in that particular culture, first century Rome. Are you following me so far? So don't, don't necessarily uh, buy the view that, well, we just, culture is entirely bad. Uh, just talking about music for, for one example. Uh, there are some people, they say, we don't listen to anything that's not Christian music. Okay, there is absolutely nothing in the Bible that says that there's Christian music or non-Christian music. Okay, we do see music used often in the Bible, but there's no dictum or passage or command, thou shalt avoid non-Christian music. Okay, the hymns that, that uh, well, they're not sung too often in church anymore, but the hymns that were popular for hundreds and hundreds of years, many of those hymns came out of bar songs. They took the melodies out of songs that were sung in bars, changed the lyrical content, and tried to focus the content on Jesus and on the gospel. Um, many of the, of the pieces of music today that, that young people are listening to, for example, be careful before you slam those things to the ground. Sometimes those pieces of music are actually getting people interested in God and not making them run away from God. Sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But there isn't, you can't throw everything into one basket and say, oh, this is horrible, and oh, this is good, and this is Christian, and this is not Christian. I mean, this is a very difficult thing to do. You live in culture. So you've got to deal with culture, and there are some things that are so-called disputable matters. If a person who professes to be a Christian is listening to a so-called non-Christian singer, that is not necessarily sin. Be very careful before you start pointing fingers of judgment because, again, that person may have a higher tolerance level and may be watching that or listening to that, whatever, consuming that media, for example, because they have a stronger faith and because they listen to it with different ears, perhaps, than you do. So it depends where you're coming from. You live in culture. Be careful before you start passing judgment on disputable matters. It is not always a sign of faith to just remove yourself, bury yourself in the sand, run away from culture. Culture's evil. Not necessarily. Uh, number two, um, look at the motive for why you're doing whatever, listening to whatever, getting the tattoo. Okay, uh, some people get tattoos for wrong motives. You know, perhaps a child might say they're, they're in a phase of deep rebellion against their parents and they go out and they get some tattoo, you know, that's really like, you know, the image is really graphic, really offensive, really over the top, really hard, like, and they do that out of, a, out of a intense rebellion. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about how, how children should obey their parents, borrowing from the Ten Commandments there, the moral and ethical law of God. Okay, that's a, that's a bad motive, all right? So in a case like that, well, what, what is the motive? 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, you do all for the glory of God. Uh, there are people who get tattoos and they say, I get this tattoo because it opens up a conversation to, for me to share Jesus with a co-worker. 
Are you going to fault that motive? Wow, it's quiet. Maybe I should try some humor for a few minutes. Are you going to fault that motive? No, you shouldn't. If that motive is, hey, I do, I do this because, because of reasons that have to do with my relationship with God. Somebody else may have a lower tolerance level for that. They may say, no way, you, you, you shouldn't do that at all. It's going to be there forever. It looks awful. Da, 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 da. Okay, that's, that's your position on it, but this is a disputable matter. Remember, this is a matter that the Bible does not speak directly to. You cannot impose a moral judgment on it either way. So you say, well, what is the motive that's, that's, that's happening here? And again, Paul in Romans chapter 14, he, he talks about this and he says, stop passing judgment on one another. Make up, make up your minds to, to remove obstacles of faith for people. If, again, if one person's faith allows them to get the tattoo, then they get the tattoo. If another person's faith does not allow them to get it, well, then they don't get it. But they're doing it for matters of their faith, and those are good motives, you see. And so we, we, we need to inspect motive first. Number two, what are you communicating? What are you saying? Whatever you're doing. What, what is the message that you're giving off in, for example, this tattoo that you're getting. I mean, it used to be, again, back when I was a teenager and, and a younger person, used to be if you got a tattoo, you were probably in a gang. So you wanted to communicate to people, you are associated with this particular thing, and, you know, back off. It was a little bit intimidating when people had tattoos who were young. It was like, oh, okay, that's serious. You know, they have a tattoo. Now it's, it's quite different. But what are you trying to communicate? Because you put that tattoo on your body, they tell, you, they tell me it lasts there like forever, right? Is it hard to get those things off? Yeah, I think it's impossible, right? Yeah, I think you have to have surgery on your skin to get a tattoo off of your skin. Okay, I don't have one there. I'm just rubbing my arm. Okay, so uh, I mean, there are pastors today who have tattoos, plenty of them, and body piercings and all of that other stuff. Okay, no, uh, you won't see that on me. But I'm not going to turn and point the finger at a pastor who's covered from head to toe in tattoos. No, because what is the motive? What is the person trying to communicate? Sometimes that message for them is extremely important. And they may say, look, the message that I'm trying to communicate, it has to do, this tattoo has to do with a very personal uh, experience that I had, very personal relationship that I had, and the tattoo reminds me of it. And when people ask me about it, I'm able to explain to them that experience, that relationship, that event that took place in my life, etc. And that, again, can sometimes open a door to share faith with somebody else. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting communication. Well, what else could it communicate, right? Depending on what you have there, it could communicate a really bad message. It could be saying, you know, I mean, it could be some of the images that I've seen in tattoos, just looking at people. I mean, they're just like, they're horrific. I mean, they look like the stuff out of a horror movie or a, or a really night, someone's nightmare, you know? Is that what you want to communicate to somebody? Well, why do you want to communicate that? So you have to inspect that, whatever you're doing, whatever the cultural thing is, whether it's a tattoo or it's, I don't know, you consume a certain kind of entertainment. Okay, why do you do that? And when people know that, what are you communicating to them? What is the message that you are sending? What are you saying by what you are doing? 
because you are always communicating something, whether you like it or whether you don't, whether you realize it or whether you don't, you always are. And especially if you dare to profess that you are a Christian, watch out, everybody's watching what you're doing, what you're saying in your school, in your workplace, in your family, they're watching. They want to see what the Christian does. So the Christian got a tattoo. And that'll be the subject of conversation. So what is it that you are trying to say? What is it that you are communicating? And finally, what is the future fruit of the activity, the tattoo, whatever it is that you're engaging in, the cultural thing that may be acceptable. What is the future fruit of that? There's a lot of talk these days about how um, employers, when, they, when they're uh, interviewing a candidate for, for a given position, do you know what they do beyond interviewing the, the, the candidate nowadays? That's right. They go on their social media, they try and find them and see them in the world of social media. Let's say the person has a tattoo, you know, all over their, their neck or something like that. And, you know, and the employer is kind of going, oh, I'm not so sure that this is going to work in this environment. Okay, well, remember the future fruit of that decision that you made when you were 18 years old and you got that tattoo. Is that going to work 10 years down the road and 15 years down the road? Is that going to work for you? Uh, what about, you know, your social media? So nowadays they're looking and they're, they're, they want to see the person outside of the, you know, the nice pretty job interview that they're having. They want to see who is this person. So you may say, well, you know, uh, I was at the club and we were having a great time, you know, me and a bunch of friends and we took selfies because nowadays we take selfies of ourselves. It's a joke, but we do that all the time, right? We're so consumed with our selfies. So it's self, 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 self. We put it on Facebook. Here's the guy with the bottle in one hand, the guy with the bottle in the other hand. Maybe you had a tea that night and you only, or you had a Coke and you didn't have anything to drink, but it's on your social media. And the employer goes and looks at it and says, hmm, so what's the future of fruit is, is the question. Uh, be careful because is it going to work for you five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road? How's that all going to play out? When you put that tattoo on your body, for example, it's going to stay there for the rest of your life. So what's that going to communicate when you're down the road? Sometimes we don't think about that. I watch these athletes on television, and my goodness, I mean, it is head to toe. And these guys and gals, when they're 35, 40 years old, guess what? They're out of a job, right? Their career is over when they hit 40. So what are they going to do when they're covered from head to toe in tattoos? Have they played that movie forward and inspected the future fruit of that decision, right? And sometimes we just do things, we engage in particular activities, and we don't realize, oh, hold, hold the phone here. Like, this could come back to to haunt me in whatever way, I'm not sure which, or it may come back to bless me in whatever way. But have you thought of those things? And these are the kinds of questions that we need to ask ourselves when we're dealing with these cultural, uh, these cultural issues in which there is this kind of a gray, gray zone. So very, very practical today. Uh, before we finish, I haven't done this in this series yet, but I'm going to be a little bit daring, okay? We've covered climate change, 
we've covered LGBTQ, and now today we've covered tattoos. So I'm going to be daring with you, and maybe, uh, uh, Abayomi, you can go and turn the house lights on a little bit. And um, so I'm going to ask if you have any questions about anything that you've heard the last three weeks. Some of you, maybe you've watched it on Facebook as well. But if you do, would you be bold enough to, to go ahead and fire out that question? I won't make you come to the front or stand in front of anybody, but just go ahead and fire it out if you happen to have one. And all the people said nothing. Yeah. Any questions at all on any of this stuff? Because this is, not a lot of churches are going to touch these issues. Okay, so I like to... I like to get feedback from people from time to time, and uh, these are good issues to get feedback from. So any questions on any of it? LGBTQ tattoos, climate change? Yes. A great question. She's asking, how do you, how do you counsel? Uh, and it depends on how you define counsel. Someone who's let's just put it in the broad conventional spectrum, LGBTQ, for example. Um, and that depends on the person. So that depends on what the person wants. So why is the person coming to, if they're coming to me, they're coming to a pastor, what, what do they want? Do they, do, they, do they want to deal with that particular issue or maybe they want to deal with something else? My job as a, as a pastor is to tell people, okay, here's what the, here's what the Bible says and here's why the Bible says it. So how do you relate to that? And how does that, how does that impact your life? And, you know, I've, I've ministered to people who, who are gay, lesbian. I, I, I've done the LGB, a little bit of T, uh, and probably the Q. So I think I have experience with all Q. I mean, a person asks a question and they're put into this convention, right? So questioning. I'm telling a joke, you guys are. So, so it, again, people who are quote-unquote LGBTQ are people. Uh, you know, the, the person who's an adulterer is a person. So why are they coming to, if they're coming to you or they're coming to me, what's the reason, what do they want? At the end of the day, for me as a pastor, my job is to say, okay, here's what the Bible would say about this issue. Um, how do you relate to that? And what does that do for you? And from there, we can, we can see where it all lands. So it's, there, is no, there is no bumper sticker immediate answer. Every person is different. Every person is complex. And you have to, you have to say, what, what does this person want? What do they need uh, without compromise? Yeah, probably clear as mud. But anyway, my best, my best attempt. Anybody else? Climate change, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So why put the agenda in the West Group design or go to another 
Oh, it depends. I mean, there is, um, in any workplace, even in a church, I've got to say, because I've worked in the marketplace and in the church, I'm, I'm doing both right now, actually. I have found church or non-church, secular or sacred, if you want to use those terms, sin is everywhere. If it's not LGBTQ in your, in your office, it's something else that's acceptable. Now, I know L- there is a segment of the LGBTQ community that is very, they're, they're, they're very, um, there's a rhetoric, there's a, there's a, a very strong messaging, there's propaganda, there's a definite agenda to try and kind of force this. I know there's a segment of the LGBTQ community that does that. That does not necessarily mean, however, if you're in an office and all of a sudden there's all this stuff kind of coming in and you've got to accept it all or else. Well, I mean, it's not going to change your values if you stay in that office, right? Other people have a different value system, but your value systems don't have to, your value system doesn't have to change just because you work with people who share a different value system. When you, when you take a position, um, if you're not signing off on something that says, you know, for me, for example, I'm a, I'm a, a minister with, with credentials in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. So I cannot do a same-sex wedding. If I do a same-sex wedding, I'm no longer a pastor in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Okay, I sign a piece of paper that says, I do not do same-gender weddings, all right? And, but that doesn't mean that I can't have a conversation with a, with a gay couple. That doesn't mean that I can't sit down with a gay couple who wants to get married and say, listen, I'm not going to marry you, and here's why. And that doesn't mean I can't sit and discuss with them. My value systems haven't changed. The the conditions of my employment um, restrict me from doing something, and I will not be imposed on to do that thing. So if if the nation of Canada went to all the, you know, credential holders in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and said, hear ye, hear ye, you are now forced as, as clergy to do same-gender weddings, well, I'd say no, because it's against my values. Um, could I lose my, could the government do something? Well, maybe if they choose to, they choose to. So just because you work in a culture and in a climate where the bulk of the people espouse values that you don't espouse does not to leave that climate. You can still stick to your principles and say, well, I don't agree and I don't agree and I don't agree and my employment does not force me to agree with it, so I won't. On the other hand, if you're in an employment that forces you to do something that's against your values, whatever your values are in a given subject, doesn't have to be LGBTQ, can be something else, then you have to say, all right, now I have to decide whether I want to continue in this employment. So, for example, you know, you're working in a, in a company where there's obvious shady dealings going on and you are asked to, you know, fix the books, change the numbers, remove this item. No one will know this is the way we do things around here. If you don't do this, you're gone. Well, at that point, you have to take a stand and say, well, if I'm gone, I'm gone, but I'm not going to cook the books. I'm not going to remove the item. I'm not going to change this. I'm not going to compromise my integrity. If you're forcing me to compromise my integrity to keep my employment, I won't compromise it. So do you see the difference? 
uh, I'm a big fan of Christians working in the, in the so-called secular space and in the marketplace. I do two days a week at a very kind of secular place. And I'm a big fan of that because when you're out in the culture, when you're out in the world, that's where you can make a difference. But if we hide and are in constant defense mode, I do not think that we're really being faithful to the gospel when we do that. I think we've got to be out there. You can't be light unless you're out in darkness, okay? And there's a way to do that without dimming your switch. Yeah, great questions. Yeah. Anybody else? One more? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so if I understand the question, you have a person who, if we're using the example of tattoos, they had, you know, real nasty looking tattoo, maybe nightmarish, you know, Satan 666 and all this stuff or whatever. It's very obvious or whatever. It was quite like anti-Christian, maybe it was deliberately anti-Christian and they get saved and they become a Christian and they're all, they're all changing and they're, all this is, they still got that tattoo. Well, I mean... Yeah, and that's, that's part of life. I mean, a, a lot of times it's very common for people when, they, when their lives are transformed by Christ, they bring a whole lot of baggage into that. And they've got to deal with that baggage in various ways. The tattoo's not going away, but that doesn't necessarily uh, indicate who they are inside, right? I mean, a person may look a certain way, and, you know, may have, may have added to that by putting a tattoo on, but that doesn't tell you specifically who that person is, right? We've got to be very careful that we don't look at someone and say, well, criminal, rebel, non-traditionalist, non-conformist, do you know what I mean? That person could be preacher. They don't look like a preacher, but they're a preacher. They don't look like a doctor, but they're a doctor. They don't look like a lawyer, but they're a lawyer. I mean, who the person is inside should never be uh, uh, assumed by what they look like on the outside. Yeah, so, and especially when there's a conversion and a change in value systems like a person who becomes a Christian, that's a huge transformation. So we've got we've to just be aware of that. There's an old saying, don't judge a book by its, still applies today. Does that make sense? Yes. 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 A great example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's worse. It's worse. So, so just for the Facebook people, so, so uh, the Apostle Paul, example in the New Testament. So, okay, he didn't get tattoos. He had a worse reputation than that. He was a murderer of Christians. So he put Christians to death. You see him as a young man, younger man in, in the book of Acts, first appearance of, of the Apostle Paul. Who he used, you can use the name Saul or Paul, whichever. And so he's there and he's giving consent to the brutal stoning of Stephen. And uh, I mean, Paul 
is, is converted not by his own will, but by the will of God who blinds him on the road to Damascus as he's there to hunt down and kill or imprison Christians. And when Paul became a follower of Christ, everyone was skeptical. And they were like, no way, this has got to be a joke. I mean, we talk about Kanye West today. Have you seen this, Kanye West? We say, oh, he can't be an old Christian. Oh, he's a Christian. He's not a Christian. And everybody's wondering, is Kanye West a real Christian? What would people say about the Apostle Paul today? I mean, Kanye West didn't kill any Christians as far as I know. But Paul did, many of them, and had them put into prison. And here you have his reputation preceded him, and they're like, stay away from him. This is a trap. He's coming in here to get us. Stay away from him. So there, that's judging a book by its cover. Um, and he had a worse cover than probably any tattoo that you could see. But yet, the, who he was on the inside was very, very evident to people in spite of the bad reputation that he had in his past. I mean, that's about the worst reputation you can have if you're trying to teach people about Jesus and yet you used to kill the people who believed in him. That's about the worst you can get. Okay, so uh, fantastic input and questions. Yeah, we do this once in a while in here. It's a little bit of a smaller crowd, so it's fun to do. Can you stand with me, please? And Luciana, would you come to the keyboard? And uh, we're just going to pray and, um, and finish up for today. Next week, we're